this time, we're taking a look at the post-apocalyptic buddy cop film Dread. And along the way, we ask, is Dread pretty much a Mandalorian? How can a British comic nail American culture? And is slow-mo really that bad of a drug? Only one thing fighting for order in the chaos. Force-fed sci-fi. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Force-Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. Uh, my name is Chris Rupp, and I am joined by my friend and co-host... Judge Sean Michael Culp. <laughs> Do you really think you would make a good judge, Sean? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think so. I think if I had to and I lived in this society where it's very black and white, and they're like, Sean, you either are a drug dealer or a judge, I would probably go with the judge. Seems a little bit more fun. You know, you get the challenge of the day-to-day. You might die the first week on the job. Yeah, what was that horrible statistic he, uh, Dredd said to Anderson? Like, one out of every five rookies dies on their first day? Like, what the hell? Dude, 80% survival rate first day. That's just, that. talk about an epic job. Very much. <laughs> They, they have to have, like, PTSD, like, support groups for all the former judges, <laughs> you know? They're probably, like, all Vietnam, World War II vets. Right, they yeah. have to. Like, there's got to be some type of, you know, self-medication program or therapy program exclusively for former judges. <laughs> it's, it's an intense gig. So, yeah. you know, before we go down the rabbit hole of the judge, let's explain this with a synopsis. What is Judge Dredd? Take it away, Chris. All right, so in the future, the United States is this, um, they call it an irradiated wasteland, and the justice system has been consolidated into what are known as the judges, or a group of law enforcement officers who dispense justice at a moment's notice. Either they execute criminals on the spot, or they put them in what they call isocubes for jail or whatever, and the most badass of these judges is dread. And while Dredd is out on assignment with a rookie judge, they become trapped under the threat of a powerful crime queen. And now they must fight through hordes of criminals and henchmen just to make it through another day. So it is it is tight. It is action packed. And ooh, it is, it is begging, begging for more in-depth analysis. And that's where we come in. Exactly. Very nice. I, I... I don't think you could ever be clearer than that. It's perfect. <laughs> so Dread is directed by Pete Travis. And to be honest, his career as a director has been kind of thin. He had previously directed the film Vantage Point, which I think was about a political assassination that was trying to be deconstructed through a bunch of like television and handheld cameras and stuff. Yeah. And more recently, he directed a miniseries for the History Channel called Project Blue Book, which was about the United States Air Force's um, secret investigation into UFO phenomena. Ooh, that sounds kind of cool. I guess people would enjoy it now that the Pentagon or something admitted there's UFOs, right? Wasn't that like last week they showed pictures and they're like, we don't I, know what these objects are. I think they released footage, but um, UFO doesn't exactly identify anything as a like an alien spacecraft. All that really means is like there's something in the sky that's up there, and at the moment we we are unable to identify what it means. It doesn't exactly mean oh, there's alien spacecraft. For all we know, it's a weather balloon or something. A very quick weather balloon. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So anybody who's saying like, oh, the Pentagon said UFOs exist. Okay, hold on. They said UFOs exist. They didn't say aliens exist. Exactly. So your role. This is either aliens or a very quick weather balloon or maybe some douchebag that built their own spacecraft or aircraft and can elude the, the jets of the Air Force, which, you know, it is the Army or the yeah. military. And so <laughs> take that with the grain, you know? <laughs> Yeah, or some flat earther moron who wants to build his own rocket to prove that the earth is actually <laughs> flat and doesn't curve. It could be a whole bunch of things. Uh, so Pete Travis, everyone, he didn't have that big of a career. He did write that uh, the movie The Gunman, I know, with uh, Sean Penn. It came out a couple years ago. I haven't seen that yet. And like, like you were um, saying, he's not really, you know, doesn't have the same filmography and career that um, other other sci-fi directors have and 
I think he I think he's definitely overshadowed more so now than by his writer and producer on Dread, uh, Alex Garland. Yeah, Alex Garland is huge in the world of science fiction. He wrote um, the film 28 Days Later. He also wrote Sunshine. He's also directed um, Annihilation from several years ago, as well as more recently, he created the FX series Devs, which was released to pretty much your um, near universal um, acclaim. Yeah. And that guy, uh, he directed Ex Machina, which is like hailed as one of the best sci-fi films in the last decade to come out. Which, exactly. Which, you know, that's not bad, right? <laughs> Always good when you when you when when your when one year films can be called any sort of benchmark for any genre. Yes, yes. So maybe Alex Garland was kind of he sold it. Maybe, maybe he was kind of the the piece to the puzzle that that I got this puppy off the ground. You know, it's it's possible. I mean, it, it's um, it's likely that he was in pre-production on Ex Machina and couldn't commit to directing Dread, so mm-hmm. he calls up Pete Travis and asked him if he wanted to take on the director's chair. Uh, from what I also read, Duncan Jones was also offered the chance to direct this film, but but passed on it for some reason. That's not clear. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, because I think Alex Garland wrote the screenplay for this too. And it's like, if he's that good of a director, maybe he didn't even, the guy didn't even need to direct, you know? <laughs> it was that good. But we'll never know. Can we, uh, let's explain. Do you want to explain a little bit for this character where it came from? Because this isn't the first one. This is actually you couldn't. It's not a remake. It's more like a reboot of Dread. Yeah. So Dread, the character began life in a in a British sci-fi comic series. It's called 2000 AD, and Dread is easily the most popular character to have emerged from this series. And he's been going on for a long time. His first appearance was in March of 1977, and there's been all kinds of different storylines with the character um there's been a version where uh dread is undead i think they like the <laughs> alliteration sounds there um also Dr- uh, dread has to a storyline where dread has to explore beyond the walls of mega city one and runs into a bunch of mutant gangs so oh, wow. the comics themselves are very interesting yeah so it's um so he has the the, the very you know, bombastic, very militaristic style looking uniform. He has the helmet that he never takes off. But like you said, this is not the first attempt to bring Judge Dredd to the big screen. No. There was. <laughs> they made a movie. <laughs> there was. In the 90s with our fa- friend Sylvester Stallone. And oh God, that movie, <laughs> it, it it's doo-doo stew for anyone. I'm sure we're going to have to review it on here one of these days, unfortunately. But that film was just so bad. That, fi- yeah. that film is a hot mess. In 1995, it was budgeted at $90 million <laughs> and only grossed $113.5 million. And it, well, it's, yeah, not to go off too of a tangent because we will discuss it in depth once Major Sam draws it. But oh man, like it's, it's typical Sylvester Stallone in the 90s, wanting every film to be just about him and his acting chops. And it's it's bad. It's really bad. Well, and when we do more, when we do a more in depth review of Dread, we'll certainly uh, Judge Dread, excuse me, we'll certainly cover that. But it received a lot of criticism from the fans of the character and the creators of the character yeah. themselves. They they criticized Stallone's portrayal. They hated the fact that he that he took off his helmet all the time, yeah. and it was it was just not a very faithful adaptation to the source material. No, no. Because they took a film, a comic book that should have been, you know, it's very brutal, and a movie that should have been R-rated, like the one that we watched recently, and Stallone's like, oh, I need a family-friendly comedy, oh, you need to see my face all the time. It's like, no, what, no, what are you doing? <laughs> Stop. Uh, he's just, it's Stallone, man. Thank God Stallone's mellowed with the years, or he just makes his own movies now, so... Well, this is still also in the age of nobody really cared about doing a faithful adaptation of anything. No. It was just, the main concern was just putting butts in seats and taking their money. And there wasn't any thought given to the fans or 
you know, putting a decent product on the screen. I mean, I think we all know the the Super Mario Brothers movie was just a colossal disaster. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. That would be if you. And, well, that would be a terrible. I would say if you want to watch a bad movie, that would be my force fed sci fi movie recommendation of the week. Watch the Super Mario Bros. adaptation. It's I think it's the first of a video game adaptation. One of the first ever in the 80s and it's oh boy it's bad and it's bob hoskins too it's just there are so there were so many bad comic book and video game adaptations for the longest of times really the only good films that were out there that were adaptations were probably the very first superman film um directed by richard donner and then later on sam raimi started doing the spider-man films and those were fantastic those still hold up pretty pretty well but there was a solid yeah almost 30 year gap where we got decent adaptations and now decent comic book and video game adaptations are slowly becoming the norm because people are understanding how to actually put um, the source material on screen and do it in an entertaining and good way oh yeah and they're just especially now comic book movies are still more they're more aimed towards children and i think if you can make a solid film that is aimed towards kids. You don't have to worry so much about trying to convince the producers that this R-rated film is going to gross and resonate with teenagers and adults. I mean, sometimes it works. You know, we saw X-Men build up to Logan with Hugh Jackman playing the Wolverine, but that was so engrossed and it took so long and you're not always going to get that. So I think like how Marvel is right now, we're, we're good. You know, they're movies for kids and, they put butts in seats. They're at, they're faithful, you know. Uh, what is it, Feige? Feige, that's the guy that produces it. He does a hell of a job mapping out the road for this. But unfortunately, Dread, which is a comic book movie, you know, why it did not do well in the 90s <laughs> at all. No, I don't think people were ready for the original iteration of Judge Dread because there wasn't much of a familiarity with the with 2000 AD and with the original character so people see Sylvester Stallone on screen you know wearing this helmet that he has to wear half through most of the film and the action is weird and yeah the the attitudes and the atmosphere in the comic are very foreign to American audiences so there's there's a lot of decent explanation as to why the original film didn't work out. But then we flash forward 13 or so years later, we have Alex Garland working on a script. Pete Travis is announced as a director. And then in one of the more brilliant moves, Carl Urban is confirmed to play Dread at San Diego Comic-Con in 2010. Yes, he is. (laughs) Carl Urban, folks. In this, I mean... I don't know. I would say this might be Carl Urban's last really sole leading role that he's done in a while, if I'm correct, because uh, he's known Carl Urban for some people. Because I know when I watch this, I watched this with my mom and she couldn't remember who the guy was. And I said, you know, the dude that played uh, uh, he was Emor or whatever. Yeah, Emor, whatever. He was in Lord of the Rings, guys. He was the dude that rode the horse with the long blonde hair. Um, and that was like kind of his Carl Urban blew up. I remember the early 2000s, like with the Lord of the Rings. Then he was in Chronicles of Riddick, the Born Supremacy, Doom. And then he kind of fell off until he got into Star Trek again, where he plays Bones, Leonard McCoy. But recently, after Dread, he's kind of just taken more like bit roles. You know, he's never been, he hasn't been a leading man, I don't think, since this, or at least in something that's gross. You know, one of the things you pointed out about all those films, and you'll realize this once I point it out, is all those films you mentioned are pretty much ensemble films. Yeah. And I think the thing to to note about Carl Urban is he's great in a leading role if it's absolutely perfect for him and Dread is perfect for him, but he's also fantastic in ensemble films, which is why we... We, we re, Carl Urban, I'm sure he's a fantastic actor, but for some reason he's just much better 
in those ensemble films than he is as a leading man solo actor. Yeah, he he always seems to be pigeonholed. If he is the leading man, he always has to do an action film where, kind of like with Dread, where it's Dirty Harry-esque and he talks in a deep voice. But when he does things like Star Trek or Avengers films, he, he plays more character roles where you actually get to see his acting chops a little bit. I don't know why. But I don't think he's terrible. He did, he did great in this film. No, I mean, it, it helps that a lot of the character development is moved elsewhere to, um, like, to Anderson, to Mama slightly. Um, but again, he's also surrounded by a very decent cast in Dread. We've got Olivia Thurlby as Anderson, Lena Headey as Mama, Wood Harris as Kay, and also uh, Donald Gleason plays the the blind tech junkie so uh, again this is another film carl urban has a very good cast he's working with i think that that's probably this is just such a tight film and it has to my praise goes to the director writers and all the actors it just it's so well executed directionally it tells you what the characters are establishes relationships really quick but it's just enough you know, they don't spend too much time dilly-dallying over exposition, his past, or anything. Even when he meets Anderson, uh, she tries to see and find out who Dredd is. And she says, I think, something he's got, he, like, his insides are clenched. And he, he lives by this moral code of right and wrong. But there's something something deeper in there that's that he's not ready to let go. And then the lady cuts her off and says, nope, that's it. We don't need to know anything else about Dread. We figured out. We established him. Boom. You don't need to go down the meta rabbit hole. Well, even during the comics, Dread is a fairly static character. He doesn't exactly go through any type of profound change or we don't feel like he's learned any sort of lesson. He's still very much the same person throughout the storylines. He's this badass black and white <laughs> judge who's going to to accomplish his mission. Yeah, that's his sole purpose. And he does. He does as a character. For I have never read the comics, um, so I don't know. But I know they were written by a British guy, I think. What was his name? It's uh, John Wagner and then like Carlos yes. Esquera. And so I know it's British, but I don't think it's alt-right or anything, correct? Because it's it's very... This film is very police-oriented because, like you said in the synopsis, basically the world's confined to, like, 800 million people in big metropolis cities surrounded by walls. And it's just good, bad. There's the judges that kill people, and then it's a bunch of poor and a bunch of rich, and that's it. But it doesn't feel... I don't know. This film was eight years old. I didn't get alt-right. I got more criticisms and critiques of uh, police... And more so about like homelessness and politics. Well, yeah, I mean, I think when the original source material was written, we saw this mass migration towards um, more of a like an activist culture, you know, protests in the streets and people. I mean, we're still coming out of the Vietnam War and the Watergate scandal. So political mistrust is probably at an all time high in the late 70s. And we see police clashing with protesters, punk music really starting to come into the forefront. So it's, and so what's the answer for that? Well, it's an ultra tough <laughs> fascist looking police officer that dispenses justice at a moment's notice. Yes. <laughs> Everything wrong with the culture. That's so fascinating that the writer, the creator Wagner decided, you know what? This is what we're going to go with to show how we disapprove with what's going on in the government. This is what they want. Well, a lot of yeah. A lot of it came from too from the um, the the drawer uh, Carlos Escara. Um, he grew up in Spain at the time under a fascist dictator. Oh, that. So uh, there you go. A lot of the, a lot of the influences in Dredd's original costume with the eagles and the, the helmet and just the overall look of the character are heavily, heavily influenced by, the imagery of fascist troops from his childhood. Oh yeah, he they he looks like a Nazi, essentially with the eagles and everything. It's so. 
It's so, that's like the first thing you notice when you see the judge headquarters, this giant eagle. It's like, what? Oh my gosh. Is this Nazis? Are these guys Nazis? <laughs> well, yeah, the symbolism of the eagle. I mean, yes, it's in America. We, we associate the eagle with freedom and the American spirit. But the eagle has been a fascist symbol going as far back as the Roman Empire for thousands of years. So it's a very weird juxtaposition the eagle has in terms of its symbolism. Right. It makes me wonder if the eagle with dreads you know, the headquarters and everything, if that has anything to do with, like, America. You know, if there's any correlation or if any of this is a critique, in a way, of the United States. I think... I think it is, because, I mean, the United States... Nobody calls it the United States. I mean, this is now known as the Cursed Earth. Mm -hmm. No one has any sort of civic pride or patriotism. And I think them using the eagle is sort of this way of trying to hold on to what the past used to be and the promise of America. Believe the eagle. Fight for freedom. Black and white. <laughs> believe in the eagle. Believe in the judges. And it's 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 also rare that we see this type of post-apocalyptic film that not only suggests a total breakdown of society, but also the complete reorganization of it. Oh, everyone being migrated to these homes like the city these giant towers skyscrapers that just hold i don't i compared it to in chicago uh caprini green essentially that's like what this world is if we just had a bunch of sears towers everywhere and that was just filled with apartment complexes super malls skate parks that's where all people would be regulated to right and these these massive towers are basically like 200 story slums is what they are yeah. i mean dread casually mentions that they there's 96 percent unemployment right there there's there's drugs there's crime i can i can only imagine that disease and sickness in that cramped of a space is just rampant and i can only imagine like that there there are there are hardly any resources to effectively treat those people and provide them medical care provide them educational services so this is just like a this is a horrible place to live and yet it's given the name peach trees peach that's the irony of it <laughs> some brilliant writing there by garland uh, this uh and but this breakdown and reorganization in society we see in the film there's really left no middle ground for any sort of conflicting morality you are either a judge or you're a criminal and it's there's no middle ground really anywhere in the film no no there's it's very and i think that's that's why anderson is so pivotal in this movie and why her character is able to kind of change how dread is i i think you mentioned she's essentially uh what would you say telepathic she can read people's minds. She can figure out what people are going to do and say. She can go in like and cause people to make bad decisions and screw with you. And so she's this rookie that is kind of, I wouldn't say she's the moral compass of Dread, but she kind of changes him along the way. She doesn't wear a helmet. She lets people go that Judge Dread would say, what? Because this whole thing is her assessment her first day and you know she's like oh i failed at one point she lets someone go be, uh the pimp mama's pimp that she ended up taking out his eyes and cutting off his balls he's like mama's slave and the telepath uh the it guy and she lets him go because she saw oh he's already suffered enough we don't need to kill him and dread's like but that's an automatic fail <laughs> <laughs> but she but her doing that changes who dread is as a character and we find out at the end you know his he right he i learns. mean it, it's great that it's great that she's able to impart some empathy onto dread in a in not any sort of profound way obviously but just this tiny like sliver of that's implanted in his mind of saying like listen if everybody's a criminal then no one's a victim and yeah. there's always victims to take care of exactly Exactly. And I think that's why this, to me, this movie shines a bit because it doesn't beat you over the head, but these characters do change and they change. It's a little change, but they change nonetheless. And it's, it's a great buildup and payoff at the end. 
as opposed to something that's just so profound and long where we we get it we're like all right johnny we get you're an alcoholic and you're struggling with making the right decision jesus <laughs> but sometimes it helps having these black and white characters no but you're right about the build-off too i mean because we see these these dominant personalities that typically emerge in a post-apocalyptic world that rise to that rise to power and stature and we see this sort of batman and joker type of clash with mama and dread and oh yeah and to borrow a phrase from the dark knight it's an unstoppable force meeting an immovable object i mean we know that dread is going to do his thing but it seems like mama always has an ace up her sleeve to try and kill dread and anderson and it's great to watch like, oh, well, you're going to do this. Well, guess what? I'm going to bring out three miniguns and just uh, totally blow away the entire floor just to try and kill you. <laughs> that was such a good scene. Uh, speaking of, you know, of that scene, how did you feel about all the special effects and everything? Because um, the camera angles and, for example, the drug slow-mo is very bedazzling, I would say. They, they really lean heavy into the slow-mo matrix-esque style but i felt it wasn't too much where i was getting pissed off no it's used just enough to where we understand what the drug does but it's never used to any sort of prolonged effect throughout the film I and mean, we see it in the beginning when dread is tracing down chasing down the tweakers in the van and mama is messing around in the bathtub and trying it out in the apartment so we see it you know three times in the first i don't know maybe like half hour or so but then that's really sort of it yeah and then what then it comes around once again when dread throws mama out the window but it's like you said we're we're never subjected to any sort of prolonged slow-mo sequence yeah they they primarily keep it with the drug and that's tough because i think as a filmmaker when you have such a cool sequence that you devise for this film that's probably going to be in my mind that was the big takeaway from this movie if i was watching it uh artistically and see wow what what ground is this film breaking i could definitely see other directors saying well in the action sequence when dread is running away from the machine gun we should do slow motion explosions and then we should do another one here when he's punching but but no they just primarily utilize it for the drug and you never get bored of the sequence no i mean other otherwise besides the slow-mo sequences the action is very fast-paced and this is one of the few films that we've discussed in doing this show where i can honestly say that the action is non-stop in this film there is always something happening and always something to take away from the scenes yes i couldn't agree with you more and it's good action action everything has a purpose they don't waste your time with like fast and furious or you know some action films or well let's just have them fight no every because they have to get up to the top floor where mama is so every decision they make unfortunately because they're being attacked includes action but it has a purpose getting to the next level progressing the characters emotionally it's and I'm not a big, you know me, I hate boring action or meaningless, pointless action. But this, I definitely agree, this film, nonstop, and has an A in my book. I mean, yes, I mean, at some point, I mean, the action does get ridiculous. I mean, it's it's when Mama reels out the three miniguns and tries to kill everybody. <laughs> but when you understand the nature of the source material and find that something like that would be very in line with what we would see in a Drudge Dread storyline, well, then it's just like, oh, okay, well, awesome. That's just, that checks the box, you know? Yes, and it's a comic book. So essentially, if you think of the film as a comic book superhero film, uh, that's when the all the um, bodacious, crazy things that start happening action-wise, that's when it all starts to make sense, at least to me. Because when I watched this with <laughs> mi madre, she was like, oh my gosh, at some parts. So I said, but you got to remember, this is a comic book film. It's R-rated, but it's, it is a comic book movie. But there's so many people that die during that sequence, and it just—it's a—it's a reminder once again in this film that this is a very cruel and unforgiving world for the the non-criminals and the non-judges of the world. I mean, oh yeah, 
the 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 homeless man is is crushed by the blast doors near when Mama locks down peace trees, and the, like we mentioned earlier, the name peace trees itself is a misnomer. And even the people that are killed in the in the opening scene, um, when that that last tweaker is running through the mall or whatever, those people are just swept up for recycling by automated robots. It is horrible to watch. There's a total disregard for life and humanity. Well, this is a world that's, in, a, in addition to that disregard, there is this, this almost apathetic quality to the population where this violence is so commonplace that there isn't a police presence that shows up to, cl- to, to check on dead bodies. There's no doctor. It's just an automated robot. that co- It's basically a human Roomba to clean up a dead body. <laughs> it, it really is. Uh, you just it's so sad to see that do you think is this could this be a cautionary tale movie that the we have the potential to get to this as a society you know i we asked a similar question like this when we were watching robocop you know could we see crime get this bad to necessitate a need for you know a judge or any sort of like hall of justice type situation and honestly i don't see it i don't see it trending towards dread like what we see with people being apathetic towards violence and just accepting it as commonplace because i mean i'm just gonna say i mean <laughs> like seeing seeing dead bodies in a public place Ooh. like should not just be accepted like that's that's not cool <laughs> right there's a lot of things we get desensitized to in this country, but I'd never want to live in a world where, oh, okay, there's Uncle Joe. Well, whatever. Nice knowing him, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uncle Joe was shot by a tweaker in the mall today. Bye, Uncle Joe. It was nice knowing you. Yeah, like, like right. I don't ever want to get to, to that. Good Lord, no. <laughs> well, and I, I, I think um, we're more trending towards RoboCop. Yes. Like a world where where drugs and crime and corruption could get so bad where we militarize the police force, but nothing like dread where, you know, police officers, prosecutors and judges are all consolidated into one role. That just seems very far fetched to me uh, to imagine in my lifetime. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we never see it because with even military police, there's always the corrupt ones. And we definitely see corrupt judges in this film because judges are supposed to be the apex of morality, right? Right and wrong, black and white. But even Mama, her ace in her hole, her second card that she draws is judges to kill Judge Dredd. And she pays them a million credits to do it. Well, right. And I think the reason why the having the corrupt judges work is because we have black and white characters like Dredd and like Mama. We have two sides of the coin where we have justice and upholding the law and then we have murder and mayhem and running a criminal enterprise and then throw in there we have different shades of the coin with the corrupt judges with anderson with the techie who ultimately is let go at the end of the film so it's it's weird shades of the it's weird shades of gray going on in the film against the black and white characters absolutely because Anderson's history, I think she was an orphan or something, if I recall. Her parents died. And then the mama was a prostitute, and she ended up getting scarred up by the pimp that Anderson ends up letting go because the pimp actually ended up cutting up her face. And then she bit off his genitalia, took out his eyes, and took over the empire. So even mama's character, you almost feel some compassion for how she became this evil villain because... She's just trying to sling it, <laughs> get that survive on the street, make some cash, and then her dude just roughs her up, and she finally reaches that breaking point. It's very these characters are very gray outside of dread. Yeah, and but there is something to be said about Mama rising to the literal top of peach trees and this criminal enterprise and keeping all of these men under her thumb. Did you notice any women henchmen in Mama's clan? None. There wasn't any. She no. was the only one. They're all men, and I think her past and her damage has taught her how to control men and to take what she wants. And I'm not saying this is like, oh, all women do this. I'm saying this is like, <laughs> hey, good for you. Like, yeah, you yeah. you keep you keep thousands of people under your thumb, and there's no other women in your organization. Like, 
awesome. Props to you. Like <laughs> she has dominated masculinity. She is in yeah. And Lena Headey is great as an actress. She has an amazing history of playing these strong, powerful women. And Mama is certainly a feather in her cap if we're going to look through the annals of Lena Headey's career. Because she's also played Queen Gorgo in 300, Queen Xerxes in Game of Thrones. So she's just she has a great knack for playing these intimidating, strong female characters. She does a hell of a job all the way till the end. When she's thrown off the top balcony. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that death is a thousand percent brutal, like Brightburn level brutal. Yes, because they, uh, spoiler, I guess. (laughs) Well, it's doing spoilers, but they kill her and the camera angle, because I haven't seen this film in a long time. And my... I watch you just watch she he dread gives mama slow-mo and then it's just the slow motion fall and the camera angle when she splats you just see her face smash against the ground and just explode with blood it's it's just such a brilliant visual trickery and aesthetically so pleasing the fact that how they pulled that off is just so incredible just beautiful payoffs with this film I want to ask you this, though. I mean, did you ever feel like Dredd was in any sort of real danger at any point in the film? So the only time that I ever felt that he was in danger was when he runs out of ammunition and he's facing the other uh, judges. And then he actually gets shot the through and through. And for and I hadn't seen it. And I went, really, is he going to die? And then Anderson takes over. But then, no. He just was stalling for Anderson to kill the other judge. So that was the only moment where I felt that Judge Dredd was out of his element, but he never did. <laughs> it was all part of the plan. No, I, I agree with you. That's That scene in the drug lab where he's going against the other corrupt judges was amazing. It, it's well shot, and when he runs out of ammo, it's just, oh my gosh, like you said, is he really going to die? Is Dredd this ultra badass going to die in this just this awful, horrible way without any sort of backup? Yeah, and he does it, but he plays it so well. He tells him to wait before the guy shoots him, and even the other judge can't believe it because, you know, I'm sure Dredd is hailed as one of the best judge there is, so the guy just mocks him. But it was all under his plan. Thank God Anderson didn't die. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, and we and we do see after that we see Anderson let the techie go, and then Anderson is just going through the rest of the film thinking, "Well, I failed anyway. It doesn't really matter." And then that small bit of empathy creeps back to Dread when he grants her an exception and lets her become a judge. Yeah. Because Anderson initially fails for the folks listening at home. She she fails the entrance test, I think, by like 3% or something. So she's right there. She's almost ready to be a judge. But he passes her anyways. <laughs> and I think Anderson actually, when she realizes that she failed and it doesn't matter anymore, her character changes from being this person that's ferrying around this criminal, the, uh, I guess, drug manager higher up pimp dude and once he dies she kind of starts to unfold as a character and you see her kick some serious ass and shooting up people it's like whoa she's taken off she maybe it's because she doesn't care anymore so she says screw it i'm gonna do what i do yeah i think that that switch is flipped is a necessary step for her character to take because we really finally see her be able to execute criminals on the spot and finally just let it go and unleash the the inner judge i guess yeah yeah and she kicks some serious ass man (laughs) do you want to ask you like a hypothetical here how do you think the rest of anderson's career as a judge unfolds that so i was thinking about that when she leaves i think she needs more experience in the field to not get shot but I think she would be right up there with Dread because her ace, her, so while she's not as physically powerful as Dread, she has that uh, special weapon of telekinesis. So she can always know what people are going to do and screw with them mentally while 
being a badass physically. So I think she she's going to kick some serious ass. And she just needs more training. But I, I was hoping, you know, that we would get more movies with those two because they make a hell of a duo. Yeah, the uh, the psycho the psychokinesis she displays in the film. I mean, looking at it through our you know our modern lens, I think it kind of <laughs> kind of messes up the idea of due process a little bit. But again, <laughs> this is Mega City One. Clearly, due process does not exist in Mega City One. So they just. <laughs> That's very true. I didn't think of that. <laughs> and not what? I mean, only once in the film does Dread mention doing any sort of paperwork. No, no, they do. It- <laughs> <laughs> You're right. And I can only imagine the amount of paperwork they have to do after like, well, we literally destroyed 15 floors of peace trees and there's a thousand dead bodies. Like, <laughs> There's so much paperwork to do. Right, so once again, we get another movie about police, and we never see them actually doing the police work. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, maybe one day. But I, I, think, I think Anderson would have an easier time moving on to a post-judge life, whereas Dredd is somebody who would be incapable of doing that. I think he... If he does eventually die, he will die as a judge, and he won't have a, the opportunity to do anything else with his life. Oh, totally. I totally agree with you there. He is born a judge, will be a judge forever. It's like people you meet where you say, oh, they were totally meant to be police officers. Yeah, I can see Anderson going off and living a nice, happy, quiet life with a cat or something. And even if Dread uh, did make it to a post-judge career, I think he would be heavily messed up from his time as a judge he'd be self-medicating have to have years of therapy but he can also there's also the added comfort he can slink into anim, uh, anonymity since he never takes off that helmet no he never does <laughs> which was brilliant he could do some slow this is, this is the way <laughs> this is the way don't take off the helmet yeah, that's how you survive how did you so the drug <laughs> in and of itself slow-mo did you see anything bad about the drug other than that it makes like life go really chill and slow? Yeah, no one mentions just how addictive slow-mo really is or what exactly makes it illegal. Like, like we're not stripping off match stick heads and putting it in there or <laughs> it's not made out of battery acid. Like, w- w- if all it does is slow time down for the user, like how is it really an illicit substance? Right? It just makes things I mean, colorful. <laughs> I mean, if if that's what we're basing it off of, we can make the argument that a really good cheeseburger is a drug. <laughs> right? There you go. Well, some people may say that with fast food. It's poison. Yeah, but no yeah, but we don't outlaw cheeseburgers, so there you go. Because they're delicious. <laughs> but I think I I think the slow mo is really sort of this um this allegory for our uh, marijuana's place in society because now we're seeing this trend of states in the United States and also other countries kind of move away from this decades-long demonization of marijuana and really embracing the health benefits of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's shocking to see how far we've come as a nation. You're, I mean, in my high school, I, my most of my lifetime, marijuana was illegal, and now finally, thank God, we, thank you, Colorado, <laughs> thank you for being so chill to understand. Hey, maybe this isn't so bad after all. I mean, but there's also a lot of things that we have to consider in the wake of legalizing marijuana. I mean, banking laws have to be reevaluated as to how you know dispensaries are impacted, as well as reviewing those stupid mandatory minimum sentencing laws that have negatively impact certain um, groups of our population. Absolutely. And plus, even on the legal law enforcement side, the whole police has to revamp how they do drug testing and how they would in- reinforce a DUI, essentially. I mean, it's it's there are there is some big changes that's going to have to come, but Hopefully all for good, because there, like you said, there's a lot of people that had that are in jail for things that they shouldn't be, or they should at least be pardoned and have their lives back because the sins of the father shouldn't be their fault. You know, just because our our nation wasn't on the boat 
like New Amsterdam, it took them so freaking long to finally realize, ah, you know, I'd rather smoke a joint than take oxycodone, you know, to fight back pain. Hmm, what's better? Yeah, my, my line of think, my line of thinking with that is like if. If there is a pedophile in prison doing less time than somebody who is busted for marijuana possession, there's something wrong with that picture. Amen to that. And it's not like where, you know, I mean, I'm in the military. I can't smoke weed. But I'm just saying, you know, this is like, I think it's an important topic and something that's, uh, yeah, really good to discuss. Who would have thought slow-mo would bring about a marijuana, (laughs) pro-marijuana Yeah, th- th- this line of reasoning is a is evidently lost in the film of Dread, but this is a world of law and order and fighting the chaos that threatens to engulf it. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, anything else that uh, jumped out at you during this? Oh, how about let's go into our red shirts. <laughs> yes. Tons well, of- who is your red shirt, Sean? Oh, my God, my red shirt was probably the uh, medic. So it, that gets uh, brutally murdered by the judges. So this medic, he's there. He notices the three bodies. Uh, he's, he witnesses the murder and all this. And then the judges, the fake judges that are coming, hired by mama, come in. And they look at the ground and they say, and they're scheming. They say, well, maybe it was just a drug bust that went wrong. And then this medic guy who's just trying to do his job, you know, he's a good person, shows up. He said, no. No, judges, uh, I saw the whole thing. You know, it was actually, they were thrown from the top, and then the judge just, like, freaking shoots him. You stand by that? Poof. I'm like, dude, you're just going to murder a guy that's, like, he's just trying to live and do his job? So I felt really bad for that guy. He was my red shirt. Well, he, that goes back to that scene where the, the doctor locked him out of the med clinic, really the only place they could reasonably hold up while holding Kay as a prisoner Mm -hmm. and the doctor turned them away and and dread really kind of gives him the 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 ringer saying like you know by doing this you effectively have picked a side yeah like you're 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 pretty much condemning us by not helping us yeah and then he gets the one over (laughs) (laughs) yeah he tries to make up for it and do the right thing and gets and gets murdered for it oh so so brutal how about you you know, I, I've got my red shirt for the film was Mama's henchman, Caleb. Oh. So I think it, 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 it seemed like he was pretty smart and one of the only henchmen in the Mama clan that she really liked. And Dredd just threw his ass down the shaft to prove a point to her. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. That poor guy. <laughs> Just threw, just threw him down, saying, "I'm still here. You didn't get me. Now I'm getting one of yours. Bye." <laughs> yeah, just showing. He shows how tenacious he is, and then she, I guess, maybe taking her top guy. I'm coming for you. <laughs> oh, dread, dread, uh, dread is so much. I would say he's the new age Dirty Harry. This film, if if anyone that's seen the Dirty Harry with Clint Eastwood from the 70s and 80s, he is totally Harry Callahan in my book. Just the way he talks, his attitude, and just, he's totally Dirty Harry. Go ahead, make my day, hotshot. I know, I was waiting for him to say that. Well, he kind of does that at the end. How do you plead? Defense noted (laughs) it just throws her over the (laughs) (laughs) carl urban i love you man what about uh uh, did you yeah go for it did you did you have a lens flare sean uh lens flare um i don't believe so i nothing was too yeah nothing that i saw in this film bothered me in any way that i was pissed off so no i'm i i had no lens flares this time well, I I had one. <laughs> you know, we we were talking about the use of the slow-mo effects throughout the film, but there was really only one time where it really bothered me, and it was the scene where Dredd and Anderson are um breaking into the apartment to bust up the meeting and and kill pretty much kill everybody that was there, and the slow-mo effects are great in the film, but we see people when they're getting shot, they look like they're standing in front of an air cannon. 
<laughs> and it's like okay <laughs> like this is this is not how bodies behave when they're shot <laughs> this is how they look when they're standing in front of a leaf blower but not when a bullet enters soft tissue uh, you know what you are right and then just like how blood would explode out of their body they get hit in like the stomach where uh, traditionally there isn't there are isn't many arteries down there and it's just poof a big like wave of blood just exploding everywhere oh that seems so if there's silly. one thing we learned after watching dread is that human beings look like they're being hit with leaf blowers when they're shot <laughs> and they're also filled with about 80 gallons worth of blood right <laughs> it's like watching a quentin tarantino movie jesus christ Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Lens flare away. So I guess that's everything. Let's uh, now let's move into the legacy. So this film, Judge Dredd, while we loved it, unfortunately, I guess a lot of people didn't love it. It, it had this budget of estimated between 30 million to 45 million. But the box office gross was only about 41.5, unfortunately. Right, but I also remember that this film was very poorly marketed at the time. Like I I cannot for the life of me remember seeing any sort of trailer for this. No. And only became aware of it after it had come out on home media and checked it out from Redbox. Yeah, they just I don't know why. Maybe because it is like a superhero-esque but maybe because you know 2012 was a busy year for movies particularly the avengers came out or dark knight was out the dark knight rises so maybe it just got overshadowed at the box office i mean that's very possible but i but in order to promote a film like this and make sure it's successful studios have to do their part and i'm amazed that it that it's considered a disappointment because i also read up that it sold it made up about 80% of its budget just in pre-sale distribution rights alone. So oh, there was a chance for there was a chance for Dread to make some money at the box office, but it was just absolutely mishandled by the studios. Yeah, that sucks. That sucks because yeah, like you said, it's it's made so much in home media, all that. It's made 20 million since it's been out of theaters. I wish. <laughs> I wish it had done more. <laughs> because with that, the future's kind of been mu murky, to say the least. I know Carl Urban says he would like to come back. A lot of people want to return, but none, nothing's happened so far. Right. There's been there was a lot of rumors of behind the scenes turmoil. Like Pete Travis was actually prohibited from participating in the editing process. <sighs> with Alex Garland, actually, he took over editing the film, and Carl Urban even remarked. Uh, as early as uh, as recently as 2018, that Dread should actually be, be considered Garland's directorial debut. Oh, and despite the the critical ratings, I mean, this holds a 79 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. There's a 60 on Metacritic. There has been no word as to whether or not we're going to get a sequel, uh, at least on the f big screen. But that's unlikely given the box office numbers. But there have been a lot of rumors about a potential series on either Netflix or Amazon Prime. Oh, well, I could see that. I mean, it would be a hell of a show. I'd watch it. Yeah, I mean, I think to call this a box office disappointment is a, is a huge disservice to this film. I just think that if this came out in 2013 instead of 2012, this would have done a lot better. Because 2012, like you said, was just a busy year at the box office. There's all these rumors of behind-the-scenes turmoil and directors and producers, you know, fighting it out over the editing process. Um, granted, I'm still hopeful a sequel will happen, but there's just there's been no real concrete news since... 2017 so it's difficult to say if or when we will see a sequel or a continuation of this story i i agree i wish they would i think carl urban crushes the role and i definitely like i would love to see more adventures of him and maybe training new rookies and all that maybe that'll be the tv series on netflix carl urban gets his new rookie killed <laughs> Judge Dredd, right? You just see every episode, another rookie gets blown away. You know, I actually do think that this would be perfect for a video game sequel or just a video game reboot in general. Totally. 
It's it's it feels I like could, a video game. This movie. I can totally picture this as this sort of open world crime fighting game where Dread is getting on the law cycle, and the law with the lawgiver gun and just busting up crime all over Mega City One. <laughs> that would be a fun game. You just respond to police calls all the time. Dish, dish, dish. Right. I mean, you would have some story, but I mean, if you build a massive open world and fill it with, you know, side missions and crime to bust, I think this would be a very great game to play. I mean, I would certainly buy it and enjoy it. Hell yeah. It would just be, you could, there, there would just be a fun game. You do first person, third person, online, battle royale. There, There's so much that they could take with this character. And there's so much to pick for his comic books to make a storyline. So that's a good... Yeah, if you're listening, <laughs> IGN or whatever gaming communities are out there, make a Judge Dredd game and just... Rockstar Games, if you're listening, option Judge Dredd to make a video game. <laughs> just saying you won't be disappointed. You won't be. Just maybe throw us a, like a royalty or something for giving the idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> let us have let us have a cameo in the game yeah. well thank you profusely yeah. we, that's all we want is a force-fed sci-fi podcast like cameo <laughs> that would be awesome <laughs> so with all of that in mind sean let's rate dread shall we let's do it we shall so on our unique scale for the force-fed sci-fi podcast of would it watch would watch would own and would host a viewing party what do you give to 2012's Dread? What do I give to 2012's Dread? So this film is by far none for me. You better put on the Judge Dread helmet because it is a viewing party, baby. I love this film. I love Carl Urban. I love all the performances of all the actors in it. The direction is great. Cinematography, writing, character development. short, sweet, to the point. Uh, the film feels like a video game. The sequences are awesome. Nothing ever gets tiring to me, at least when I saw it. And everything's just building. It's fast-paced. It's exciting. This is this is a film. This is an action film that I always talk about that I love. This is my action. If I'm going to watch a film, I want something quick, but there's setups and payoffs. So for me, Judge Dredd is awesome. I recommend it to anyone to watch it as long as you know if you're not 17 have an adult with you or whatever (laughs) but otherwise enjoy it it's a must see in my book how about you chris you know this is actually a really really fun film to watch and everything meshes together really well there's the dynamic characters the, the different shades of morality we see and i think it helps to know what to expect going in and One shouldn't expect any sort of deep character development because you're not going to get it. You're going to get just enough for it to be be noticeable and palpable and recognizable. But the action is great. It's fantastic. And this is an amazing adaptation of the original source material. And Judge Dredd is is now such an iconic character. And the world he inhabits is intricate. It's dirty and... It's crime-ridden, and the only response to it is a tough-as-nails, badass cop who's going to put everyone in their place and go accomplish his mission. And because I enjoy this film so much and remain ever hopeful for a sequel, I am calling Dread a wood host a viewing party. Aha! So I will join you. I will join you in wearing that dread helmet and wearing whatever sort of cursed earth mega city one appetizers we can whip up for a dread viewing party is I am a hundred percent on board with that. (laughs) Sweet. Yet another agreement between Sean and Chris. I love it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. We've had a, we've had a good string in a row of films where we absolutely agree on. And like, I, I have to say like, this is, this is one of the films in our list that we've covered so far that I have just 100% thoroughly have enjoyed watching. Amen to that. Same, same, same. So with that, folks, it's time to consult our friendly number generator, Major Samantha, to pick the next film on our list. Chris, take it away. Yes. So from our list of 118 films, Major Samantha has selected number 68 
It is a film from 2009 starring Ethan Hawke and Willem Dafoe. It is Daybreakers. Another Ethan Hawke film? What? (laughs) (laughs) Sweet. I'm ready for it, man. Uh... Well, that'll be our film for next time. Please watch and enjoy with us. And if you enjoyed today's show, please, please, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at ForceFed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts, and go ahead and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for all of us at the ForceFed Sci-Fi team, we will see you next time. Force-fed sci-fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.